0: other thing that founder needs to do is understand that these people are not more important busier more valuable uh smarter than they are these people are vulnerable because they're not domain experts nobody's really a domain expert in cannabis investing because it hasn't been around long
1: enough from mj bulls media it's the raising cannabis capital show Dan Humiston, and on today's show, how this entrepreneur and former Silicon Valley VC is teaching the art and skill of fundraising to cannabis entrepreneurs. Today on Raising Cannabis Capital, we are joined by Sarah Batterby, founder and CEO of Equity Capital Collective. Sara, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: Well, today's show is going to be a little different. Uh, instead of featuring a cannabis company that's raising capital... We're going to talk about the actual process of raising capital. Sara's has spent most of her career both raising capital as an entrepreneur, investing capital as a Silicon Valley investor. She's even in the CEO of a cannabis business. You've helped companies in the cannabis industry raise over $45 million. This is a person that you should really listen to when it comes to raising money. She not only talks the talk, but she walks the walk thought we'd start off by talking about some of the sort of misconceptions that entrepreneurs have about raising money.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's so much a misconception as just the fact that a lot of entrepreneurs in cannabis are coming out of cannabis and cannabis has been legal for such a short period of time that these are not people who have sort of been milling around in their careers at like Google or Transferring one professional skill set into a new business in cannabis. These are often people who have developed and built their skills and their world in prohibition. And so they have not had access to the world of sort of finance skills and networking skills and all of this stuff that is really such a fundamental part of raising money. And so in my experience working with cannabis entrepreneurs, it seems that their sort of experience is mostly that it's just a black box, that this is just a world that they don't understand and to some degree maybe even feel intimidated by.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And I also think that sometimes when a founder, they feel like they should know how to raise capital like it's supposed to be part of the kit that you get when you become an, a founder that you should also just be born with the skill set and it's so far from the truth
0: when i got into the cannabis industry i very unusual in that i brought in this very sort of like robust skill set in finance and business and early stage companies i've been an entrepreneurial tech for years but when founders in my own cannabis community in Oregon, so I to say, well, how did you do that? How did you, ra- how do you raise money? I couldn't answer the question. I didn't know the answer to that question. I was like, I don't know. You just do it. Like, I spent my career in a world where you just kind of do it. And I'm like, oh, wow, there is no answer to that question that currently exists right now. You can't go buy a book. You don't pick it up if you go to college and even do an MBA no version of the help menu in QuickBooks to learn how to do this. And it's such a critical piece of building a startup, especially in cannabis, where often there's quite a lot of capital requirements and you need support with that initial investment.
1: Yeah. Like you said, it's a skill set that's learned. I suspect there are some people out there that are predisposed to be good at it, but a lot of it comes with doing. The people that I've known that have been very good at it have a career in doing it. Like I said, it wasn't like part-time, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and run my company. And then on the side, I'm going to do this. It's not effective that way.
0: No. I think my experience was really interesting because even though I'm one of those people who spent my career doing it, when somebody asked me how I did it, I didn't know the answer to that. What that tells me is that it's more about just learned knowledge. There's like a world of this You can either be inside the world where people raise money and know how to raise money, or you can be outside of it. And in a lot of ways, fundraising has been treated like a privilege and not a skill set. And it happens in networks of privilege that are by nature quite exclusive. And so it really comes down to this equity problem where people are either a part of this privileged little corner of the world that is capital and the kind of people that you're surrounded by where capital moves around. I call it the natural capital networks. And then there's the whole rest of us, which is mostly like cannabis founders, but also women, people of color, people from the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. We're all outside of that world. If you speak to us about fundraising, they're not really gonna talk about the skills that they've acquired. They talk about the network that they've built and the relationship they have with their professional network around capital. There's this piece of it that is extremely inaccessible. So thinking about it as a skill set definitely solves one half problem, but it doesn't get you all the way there because you've got to understand that for someone standing outside of one of these natural capital networks, they have to sort of get a hold of their identity and their mindset because they haven't grown up with this just inherent sense of entitlement the availability of these resources and knowing how to ask for them. So there are all of these weird feelings of inhibition, and and they feel like they're asking for something instead of entering into a transaction, which is actually what they're really doing.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. It's almost like you need a secret handshake to get in, and if you don't know what that mm-hmm. handshake is, you're like, well, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. I know in your company, you help people learn these techniques and and what are some techniques that you would recommend to help them bridge that gap?
0: So the one thing I am big on is what I think of as like the number one mistake that founders make fundraising. That is they try to replicate a fundraising approach that is successful if you are already in one of these capital networks. And that basically means that you meet someone or you get introduced to someone. They're like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm interested in what you're doing. Send me your stuff. And then the founder is pretty pumped, and they go home and they like package up their stuff and they send it out via email, and that is what everybody does, and everybody gets ghosted ninety five percent of the time. <laughs> and the reason is, is that when people within these networks do that, they're doing it within the context of an already recognized community. So when I get an email from someone who social capital invested in that relationship. I'm going to take the time and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to respond, or I'm not going to take the time and I'm just going to give him the money anyway because I want to be on the right side of my relationship with that person. I'll pitch fifty grand into an investment because it's Billy's kid and I play golf with Billy. For founders who are not in that network, that relationship isn't there. That sense of sort of responsibility on both sides for communication, and you're really just saying to someone, I don't know you, you don't know me, there's no social capital at risk on your end, and I'm going to drop five hours worth of work into your inbox based on a five-minute conversation at a networking event, and I'm going to help you get back to me. It doesn't work. The founder is sitting on one side feeling anxious and wondering if the person read their email. The investor, who probably was enthusiastic and absolutely authentic in their interest, is just not engaged enough in the relationship to invest the time, do the work, and view an entire presentation and business model on an investment opportunity. And so what founders need to do is they need to, instead of the whole send me your stuff thing, the answer to that is, you know, I'm in the process of preparing to open a race. And I would love to spend a little bit of time with you and tell you a little bit more about my company and learn a little bit more about you. And if it seems like a fit, I'd love to invite you into my due diligence process when I open my raise. And by doing that, the founder does several really important things. And the first thing is they establish a boundary around value, that level playing field between them and the investor and says, hey. You need to invest a little bit of your time getting to know me, and I have designed and developed a process for managing this in my business, and in order to have access to my information, there needs to be an agreement that we are in a professional relationship and there'll be some reciprocation in terms of time invested. And then once that sort of hurdle's been crossed, the founder is able to set up a framework that enables them to communicate with this person in the lead up to opening a raise and build the kind of relationship with them that creates that sort of familiarity and trust and that sort of reciprocation on both sides. So there's enough engagement there to get them through a due diligence process to where they might write you a check at the end.
1: This is way more involved than most entrepreneurs appreciate when they're getting into it. There's a bigger time commitment on their end. It takes longer to raise money than you think, a lot more emotionally draining than you think. It's going to put a strain on your business and going into it lightly, like what you described where, hey, let me send this over to you. That's a recipe for disaster. It's just not a disciplined, not a prepared strategy, like you said. This is a full-on business, raising money, and you have to be as prepared. And I think part of that problem falls on the entrepreneur's shoulder sometimes because they take it way too lightly.
0: Um, Yeah, and I think ultimately what founders need is a really defined and disciplined methodology that's coherent combined with the skills that they need to build a comprehensive investor package and analyze their business from the perspective of the investor with a consideration of the investor's risk. And then the other thing that the founder needs to do is understand that these people are not more important, busier, more valuable, uh, smarter than they are. These people are vulnerable because they're not domain experts. Nobody's really a domain expert in cannabis investing because it hasn't been around long enough. And the job of the founder is to support and educate lead a potential investor through a process that does two things. It allows them to trust and get to know a founder who's probably not part of their traditional network, and it allows them to learn and understand the offering in an industry that is just rife with risk and complex and different to the sectors that these guys are probably more used to investing in, like technology. And so I think by solving those two problems, you actually do make it faster and more efficient. You do make it so it's not emotionally exhausting and draining. And you don't have to walk around feeling like all of a twist with your hands out saying, please, sir, can I have some more? Because you're fundamentally approaching this as a professional and you're looking to exchange value for equal value, equity for cash. You're not asking for anything. This is a transaction. And so getting founders who haven't sort of developed a transactional mindset around what they're doing and feel intimidated by investors because our culture tells us that those people are somehow better than us is a recipe for disaster and a pretty hostile experience.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm always coming in if wearing an entrepreneur's hat. So I'm always saying, well, we're the rare ones. There, <laughs> there's a ton of money, yeah, but there's not exactly. a ton of That's entrepreneurs of out there. <laughs> we're the rare exactly ones. Right. We're the special ones. Yeah. Well, if anybody wants additional information, Sara has an online equity capital master's classes.
0: Yeah, what I've done is I've basically spent three years codifying fundraising as a skill set for entrepreneurs who have not traditionally had access to capital. And we finally got that formatted as an online masterclass, and I teach it personally. And it's six weeks long with 90 minutes of teaching a week and an hour of Q&A. And we look at people's individual businesses, and we're just actually in the middle of one of those right now. And the next one kicks off in January. If you want to get into any more detail, then it's on there. Just send an email to hello at equitycapitalcollective.com.
1: So if somebody's interested in getting some more information, you can go right to Equity Capital Master's Class. Sarah, thank you for taking the time out to explain all this. I feel it's almost like a pep talk. Um, like you said, <laughs> this, you just yeah. need to change your mindset. You know, that, that was the takeaway yeah. today. Change your mindset.
0: Anyone can do it. You just need the right mindset and the right set of skills and anyone can do it.
1: Well, well, I appreciate this. Hopefully you'll be available to be back on the show sometime.
0: I'd love to, and love to stay in touch and keep you updated with the progress of what we're doing and appreciate what you're doing also. Thanks a lot.